Um, thank you, Sarah. I know that's not easy. I know it's not easy for anyone in the room. And there were some things I wanted to say about the Caring Well team, but um, my wife and Sarah did such a, a great job of explaining why we need this, um, that there's not a lot more I, I need to say other than um, we always want to bring a church, be a church that brings the darkness into light um, to talk about things like sex, like, like pornography, like sexual abuse, the things that the church has so um, historically been so afraid to talk about. Um, we've got to be able to talk about those things. One, one thing that really struck me is not only statistics, but even in our city, one of the organizations that we're trying to work with and do training with and learn from said that, that no other churches had ever, had ever approached them except for one. They said that one did, right? But it wasn't in our county. And I'm not bashing other churches, right? But that just shows how badly we need this um, awareness of this to grow, of the darkness that comes with this. And for those of you that are in the room, that this is a part of your story, a part of the story of someone that you love, because most of us will have somebody in our life that we love that has been through this for us to grow and to learn and, and to be one of those people that can be safe for them to share and to talk about this and bring that out of the darkness into light. I know that I've had my own, my own issues in the past, not with sexual abuse, but things related to sex. And I've talked about some of them from the front. And even in that, I wasn't abused and it, felt, it still felt so enslaving, so much shame, so, so much guilt, and we need to be a part of that brings healing to that. And so thank you again um, for laying out so beautifully why we need this. Um, please come to people. You can come to me, but people like Sarah, like my wife, like the Caring Well team who want to support you and love you um, no matter what your story is and help you to walk through it. And so today, for my part, the Caring Well team asked me to preach. I was going to preach, right? But, but asked me to preach today. And, and here's what I want to do today. I, I want to point us all to Jesus. I know a lot of you are shocked by that, right? That's what we want to do every week. Um, that seems kind of obvious, but here's the reality. As, as, as much as I'm asking all of you to do, do the same, I'm counting on the Caring Well team to help, us, to help us learn and to help us grow and to help to train us and help to create an environment at Freshwater that, that's safe for those have, who have been abused, not just to tell their story, but to grow, right? To, to thrive, to have hope in Jesus Christ. Uh, we want to be a place that loves all people well. And in particular, if we want to do ministry on the north side of Springfield, this is something that we have to be better at, church. This is something that we have to grow at. This is something that we have to be very aware of. Because something I even said to somebody before the service was, I, I thought I understood this until the last year, until we went through some things as a church and then like uh, going through some of this training. And there was just things that I, I thought I knew or understood that I didn't fully know or under understand. And so, this is so important, and I want, to, I want you to support the Caring Well team. If this is something that, that stirs your heart, I want you to join the Caring Well team. But all of that training and all of that is so good, but in the end, all of the advice, all of the training, all of the growth, in the end, Jesus is still our cornerstone. And I know the Caring Well team would absolutely agree that. My wife said that, Sarah said that, like, that is our cornerstone. That is the foundation. That's the thing that we want to, to point to. And so that's what I want to talk about today, how Jesus brings hope into this more than anything else. Now, saying that, let, let, me, clear, let me be clear before I move on. And I, I, I'm so glad Sarah touched on this in her testimony. If, if someone is willing to open up to you about the abuse, whether it's emotional or physical or sexual, whatever kind of abuse it is, I, I just want to be clear, church. Our first response is to listen. It's for that person to know that they are heard. When I went through the training, I didn't realize that 
on almost every occasion, someone who's been through sexual abuse doesn't just lay it out the first time. They'll, they'll just throw out a tiny little question or a tiny little hint to see if you are safe, to see if you're going to tell them all about themselves or if you're actually going to hear them and listen to their story. They can, they're testing you to see if you're trustworthy to, to walk through this in a safe way. And so the, the, the first thing we, we do, church, is listen. We, we don't try, when they, when they say something and that clicks something in our bread, try to tell them that all the way that Jesus is the answer to that, right? That's not our immediate response. Jesus is the answer because of this, this, and this, and this, and this. So have hope. No, we listen. And we recognize that this is complicated. And it's long-term. And there's not always easy answers. But in the end, we can have hope even walking through it with them if this is not a part of our story because we know Jesus is the answer. He is our hope. So ultimately, when they've trusted us, when we've walked through it with them, when, when we've taken our time to listen, Jesus is the hope that we point to every time because he is our peace. He is what we trust in for our hope. But not only that, the other thing I want to point us to today as we walk through some passages is that not only is he our hope, but we have a high priest in Jesus Christ that understands. He understands. No matter what you've been through, we can turn to him and we can truly trust him because he's not just our Lord, which, which is enough, right? He's God. He's our king. He's our Lord. That's enough. But we also can turn to him because he understands our pain. He understands our suffering. And so by the end of my part today, I just want us to clearly see that, that loving the oppressed... Loving the abused isn't just something that Jesus did, and he did do that. And because he did that, therefore, it's something that we should do too, but it was literally a part of his mission on the earth. And therefore, should be a mission, should be a part of the mission that he's left to us as we display his, his, his glory to a broken world. And so with that, go ahead and open your Bibles and turn to Luke 4. Luke chapter 4. And let me give you a little context of Luke chapter 4 as you're turning there. In, in Luke 4, Jesus has already started his ministry. He's been going around. He's already, he's already done, some, done some things that's blown some people away. And in the midst of that, he comes back home to Nazareth, to his hometown. If you remember the story, we're not going to get to it today. Remember in Nazareth where, where they didn't accept him because they knew him as the carpenter's son, not as the Messiah. But that's a sermon for another day. And so what's actually happening in our passage today, it's the day of worship, the Sabbath day. And it was common in the synagogue at church for them to come, they would have people read scripture. And so they give Jesus some scripture to read from the book of Isaiah, from the prophet, I, from the prophet Isaiah, which was actually a prophecy about who the Messiah was going to be. And so the fact that they gave Jesus this passage to read from Isaiah and he stood up and read it was a pretty common thing to do in a synagogue on Sabbath day. What wasn't common was Jesus' response to the reading of the text. And so in Luke chapter 4, we're going to just read a few verses in Luke 4, verses 16 through 21. Luke 4, 16 through 21. And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll 
and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now considering, if you, especially if you've been with us, considering we've been walking through the gospel of John, when Jesus says the spirit of the, the Lord is upon me and that, that he has been anointed when he reads that, we know exactly what he means. He's, he's claiming this is him. Today this has been fulfilled in me. And so when he says, he's saying the spirit of the Lord is upon me and I have been anointed, we know, that, we know what that means because we walk in through John and John uses the same kind of language. He's, he's claiming that this prophecy is fulfilled in him because he is the Christ. This is me. It's been fulfilled in me. But it's not just Jesus claiming to be Christ here, which is enough. I mean, that's a crazy claim in his hometown, in his synagogue, to claim, I am the Messiah. But he's also proclaiming what the Christ will do, what he will do. He's proclaiming his mission here. And and what does it say? That he'll bring good news to the poor. That he'll set at liberty the, the captives. That he's going to bring sight to the blind. And he's going to set those free who have been a, oppressed. And that through him, God's favor, God's blessing would come through him and through his mission in these things. So I want us to recognize first and foremost that what Jesus is talking about is primarily spiritual truths. You know what I mean by that? He's talking about that spiritual truths, that, that people who have been held captive by, by Satan and by sin and by evil, they are going to be set free, which is what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us, right? He died to set us free from the slavery of sin, from the slavery of, of evil, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring the good news to the poor. Like Jesus talks about this in the Beatitudes that we, that we are poor in spirit, right? Without Jesus Christ, we, we can't be saved. Without him intervening on our behalf, we're, we're poor in spirit. We are not capable of the riches of Jesus Christ. So he opens up our hearts to believe and he rescues us and slaves us. That's what it's primarily talking about. To set free those who have been oppressed, those who are oppressed by sin and death. Jesus came to conquer death through the resurrection so we no longer have to be oppressed by the fear of death and the power of sin. He came to set us free and obviously giving sight to the blind. We can't see without Jesus opening up our eyes to see. But the question comes, is this just spiritual truth? And to see clearly that it's not just spiritual truth, it's primarily spiritual truth. That's the most important thing. But we just look at Jesus' life to know that it's not just spiritual. It's literally practical. Because if you look at Jesus' life, he, he loved and spent time with the poor. He brought them the good news. We see in the book of Acts that, that people were literally, his disciples were literally set free from prison, set free from captivity and oppression. We see that he gave his life to invest in the oppressed, to invest, invest in the outcast, the abused, and the broken, the cast aside. He brought spiritual and practical hope to the oppressed that are, that are enslaved to the darkness in this world. People like Mary Magdalene, who had seven demons. People like the outcast Samaritan woman, who should have been his enemy, but was outcast even among the Samaritan people at the well. He, meant he, he invested in her. Like the officer's son, the, uh, the Roman officer's son, who he should, again, another enemy, but he healed his son. Like the tax collector that everybody despised, hated, yet Jesus loved and served. And then another one, the leper, that because of his disease was, was literally cast out of society, was cast aside because of his disease, yet Jesus spent time with him, healed him, loved him. Other than his disciples, Jesus spent more time with the poor, the hurting, the oppressed, 
the abused than virtually anyone else. Because this was his mission that was given to him by the Father, to show the love of his Father to the world and display it to the least of these. Not primarily to the rich and powerful and those who had everything together, but the oppressed, the poor, the hurting, the broken, and abused. This is who Jesus spent most of his time with. Church, I want us to see clearly before we move on that this wasn't just Jesus' response to the brokenness around him. It was quite literally a part of his mission he was sent to fulfill and just who he is and was. And it's who we are called to be. Listen, loving the abused and the oppressed that we're focusing in on today is not something that we are supposed to do as Christians and followers of Christ. It's who in Christ we are supposed to be. Do you see the difference? It's not a box to check. It's that we love so deeply Jesus Christ primarily, but his love is so deeply rooted in us that we can't help but see the brokenness in our world and think, I need to step into that as Jesus stepped into that. Our mission, church, is to display the glory of God to the world through his son, Jesus Christ, and advance the gospel. That's who we are as a church, but that's who we are as the church, not just our church. And, and yes, here, the foundation of that, the foundational thing that we stand on is the truth of the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is, the truth of who the word says Jesus is. That is our foundation. That is the, the thing that we stand on. But even Jesus' own disciple, the disciple that, that, that Jesus loved, the one who wrote the book of John, John, in a Another book he wrote, 1 John says, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Words are important. Truth is important. Yes and amen. But without the deeds to go with it, to actually show practical love, we're not representing Christ and who he is and what he did. Jesus shows us that sharing the love of God with those who are oppressed and those who are abused in very tangible and practical ways is a part of displaying his gospel to the world. So church, this is the foundation. Right? This, is, is, this is why we think something like caring well is so important and it's worth investing in because of what it points to. And why we need, all of us need to take time to think about this, to pray through this, to take this serious, and to let others help us grow in this. But here's what's going to happen. As we grow, and I, I know we're going to grow as a church. I've already seen it in our leadership team. You should have been at the meeting yesterday with our leaders. The leaders asked so many good questions and we're so invested in the time. And um, let's be honest, nobody likes to give up their Saturday. But as I left there, I wasn't one of the leaders of it. I'm not, I'm the pastor, right? But the Caring Well team led that. I walked out of that room thinking, man, this was so worthy of my time. This was such a good investment of, the, of my Saturday when, you know, on Saturdays, you don't really want to go spend it at four hours at, at something like this. But I walked out thinking, I'm so glad I was here. And that's what I felt from your leaders. They're, they're invested in this. And I think you're going to be invested in this as we move forward. And so we know this is the truth. We know these are the, this is the kind of thing that Jesus Christ did and he's calling us to. So how can we have confidence moving forward, knowing that this is our rock and our foundation? I want you to have confidence in, in how you move forward. If you're going to walk through this with someone, or if you are this someone, how you can move forward. And, and to that, answer that, I just want us to think for a second about what oppression, what abuse does. What oppression and abuse does. I read this in a book, and I just, it just hit me deeply. I hope it does you too. What abuse does is it takes what's good 
It takes love and trust and sacrifice and support, and it twists those good things for evil. Think about that for a second. That's, that's what people who groom other people and abuse other people do. They take these good things, trust, sacrifice, love, and they twist it for evil means. So instead of love, it's manipulation, and it's control, and it's using another person for your own means instead of supporting them and loving them. It just twists that. But what I want us to see so clearly today is the cross of Jesus Christ does the exact opposite of that. Do you know the cross was, was created by the Romans? It was created to be a, a, a form of terrible abuse. Now, I know we all know that like, Jesus Christ died on the cross and that the Romans killed people on a cross, but it wasn't just about killing people. They wanted to absolutely humiliate them, shame them, abuse them as they hung there naked on the cross. That's what it was designed for, emotional warfare. That, that's what they, so they would hang, as they hung there in their shame, as they hung there feeling dirty and worthless, as everybody looked upon them in their shame as they hung there, the, the Romans would use it as psychological warfare. That so through fear, they might manipulate those who they meant to control and use. Trauma that led to obedience. That's what the cross was. Is that not exactly what abusers do? Use the shame, use the psychological and physical abuse to control and manipulate those who they want to rule over and use for their own means. Isaiah 53, in the Old Testament, a prophecy speaking of the Christ said that the Christ would be oppressed and afflicted, that he would be stricken and crushed. Why? So that he might go to that cross to bear our shame, to turn what was meant for evil to ultimate good. Listen, Christ allowed, I, I don't know if you've thought about this way, but Christ allowed himself to be abused physically and mentally abused so that we could be saved. That's what he was willing to do. As 1 Peter 2 says, by his wounds, you are healed. By his wounds, you are healed. Church, there is a reason that, that Hebrews 4 says that we have a high priest who was able to, who in every way sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus isn't just the savior of those who have been abused. He understands what it means to be abused by people that should have loved him. That people who should have supported him, that people who should have been on his team the whole way, yet they abused him and killed him for their own power, for their own means to manipulate, to control. He knows. And most of you that have been through abuse were abused by someone who should have been there for you, who should have loved you, who should have been standing up to protect you, but instead manipulated and used you for their own means. Listen, Jesus knows more than anyone in this room, more than me, more than Sarah, more than anyone else, Jesus knows. That's why he's your hope. That's why we can ultimately turn to him because every other person and everything else in your life can be taken away, but Jesus Christ cannot and your Savior knows. And I love what Hebrews 12 says that, that it was for his joy he went to the cross and bore the shame 
What an unbelievable Savior we had that was to be abused in that way, and he knew it, but it was for his joy to bear the shame, to be oppressed and abused so that he could take our sin, so that he could take our shame, and then to rise three days later to show us that none of those things have any power over him, that by rising from the dead, he not only survived, but he took what was meant for evil and used it for the redemption of the world. To all who would just believe Jesus turned abuse into glory. He took what was meant for death and he turned it into life. He turned the sin of others, terrible, awful sin of others against him, and he transformed that into the hope of the world, into your hope and to my hope. This is what Jesus does, church. This is who he is. This is where, listen, this is where Jesus does his best work. He comes with us into the suffering for he understands the suffering and he not only brings salvation, but he brings hope, the hope of healing, the hope of growth, the hope of redemption, the hope of new life. Church, do you know how badly I want to be the savior on these things? as your pastor and just as a man, I want to fix it. I want to fix it. I want to make it whole. I can't make it whole. And it breaks my heart and it breaks other people's hearts. I know the people that walk through, for you, if you've been through this, you want to, you want to just be whole. You want other people to understand. Other people want to help you be whole, but none of us can make you whole. Jesus Christ can make you whole. He is the answer to all of this because we're not going to always know exactly the right thing to do. And we're not going to always know the right thing to save, to say. But what we do know is that we serve the God of all comfort, the God of redemption, the God of hope. And that by pointing people to his truth, his work, his righteousness, all things are possible. Let me close my time just going to close the time with reading this passage from 2 Corinthians 3, 1, 3 through 5. Robert, do you have that for me? I'll close with this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Church, pray with me. Oh, Father, I pray that this truth would just settle on all of us today. That you truly are our hope, our peace not just for salvation. And God, we praise you for your plan and your work through your son, Jesus, to bring us salvation. Help that truth to never grow old, that we have been redeemed, but that you're not just a God of salvation, but a God that came to walk through this with us so that we might know that you understand us. You're not some distant God on high, but a savior who came for us, Emmanuel, God with us. God, help us to see how you turned abuse into glory and believe that can be true in our church. 
in our lives and in our community. Help us be a people who love the oppressed and the abused and the afflicted as you did. To love them tangibly, practically, and then spiritually point them to you, the one who can truly heal. Help us not to be people who try to fix everything, but love people so well that we can patiently walk through it with them while you fix things. And for those of the room that have been through this before, God, you know better than anyone that this is not a one-time thing. This is a lifetime of healing and growth. But I pray that you would help them to hold on to the hope that one day we will all be fully redeemed in heaven and sin will become untrue and the abuse will be washed away and all we'll have left is glory in your presence and fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And so until that day, help all of us to hold on to that, that 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 is our reward, that is our inheritance, and one day it will all be true. But until that day, help us to hold on to you as our hope, as our strength, and as our peace. Jesus, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Church, we thought this would be a good time to take part in communion, to remember right now what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And so if communion happens to be new to you, if you're new, newer to this church thing, and it might seem kind of weird, it's, it's a time that we remember what Jesus Christ did just before he went to the cross. When he sat down with his disciples and he said, hey, I want you to drink this wine, and when you do this, I want you to remember me and my blood that's gonna be shed on your behalf. And then he passed the bread and he said, this bread is my body, my body that's going to be broken on the cross on your behalf. Church, today of all days, I want us to remember what Jesus Christ did and to take our shame, to take our guilt, to take our sin to the Lord right now. Repent of whatever we need to repent of because Jesus came to make you new, to make you whole so that you could be forgiven. Don't make your sin and your shame and your guilt bigger than the cross. You take it to the cross, be redeemed, be renewed, be saved. Take that seriously. Reconcile. If there's people you need to reconcile, go reconcile with people to be whole. That's what God wants for you, to be whole. Shalom, all life, peace. But also as we go to communion today, on, on this day in particular, remember that Jesus didn't just die to pay for your sin, yes and amen, and for his body to bear the punishment and the wrath of God for our sin, yes and amen, he did that. Not just to make you innocent before him, not guilty, yes and amen. But he also did that so that we might not lose hope knowing that our Savior understands who was abused to turn that into glory for all of us. That's why we, we say we're communion. This is something that we take serious, really serious, that we hold really high, but it's also a celebration within that because what an amazing thing our Savior has done for us today. And so I'll say this too. If you're in here today and you're not a believer, listen, we love you. We are so glad that you're here. This is a safe place for you to ask any question that you have, to work through anything. We want you to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. But this is one of the most holy, one of the most important things that we do as Christians. And it's meant only for those who have made Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. And so could you do us a favor today? Could you honor us by not taking communion if you're not confident that you're a believer? 
we, we won't pay attention. We're not going to be watching. We're not going to be looking around the room. But this is one of the most important things we do just to honor us today. But if, you, if today's the day that you want to maybe confess Jesus Christ as your Savior or have that conversation, I would love to have that conversation with you. I'm going to take communion with my family, but we'll talk about it today. And if today is the day you're like, Jesus Christ is my Savior, I, I know it. I have confidence that I'll take communion with you. But otherwise, if you wouldn't partake today and honor us, we would thank you for it. Other than that, church, let's remember today and let's celebrate today. And let's confess and repent today so that Jesus Christ, no matter what we've been through, no matter what darkness we've walked through or that's been done to us, we know that Jesus Christ is the one who can make us whole. Communion's over here on the table. If you don't mind, just start from the back and then round to the front. And when we've worked through that, we'll stand up and worship together. But why don't you just go right now, if you're ready, whenever you're ready, you can just head right over to the communion table.